I mean, look, even Nicholas just said like a hundred times, Tiger's the best that I've ever seen. Would you all just leave me alone? <laughs> Stop trying to Let me up. suffer. Like, I just want to be miserable. Welcome back, everybody, to the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. We are the best place to catch up on golf from around the world, including the golf of your favorite big players, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny Wunput. All right, we will kick things off with the Travelers Championship from this past weekend. Keegan Bradley, the hometown kid, getting the dub. His second win on the tour this season, making him pretty much a lock for the Ryder Cup. With the way that putter's rolling, I think we'd love to see him on the U.S. team. Then we'll roll into the tournament this week, the Rocket Mortgage up in Detroit. We got a really great field. Usually this is an event kind of in between events where the field usually isn't that strong. We got lots of big names. We'll break those down and a little bit more about the course. And then to round things out, we'll talk about the KPMG Women's PGA at Balch's Raw, our 2v2 at Rattlewood, and our quick nine that Tully and I just got done with our friend Jack Bonifant. Playing in the USAM tomorrow. Good luck, Jack. If you haven't yet, head on over to our Instagram and check us out at Big Players Only Pod. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, we are back, and we had a great weekend of golf. The Travelers is always a fun event to watch. The New England fans are always – it's 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 their event. They don't have that many up there, so they always show up, a lot of them there. And now this year it was elevated, so we had a huge purse. We had the best players in the world. We had Rom, Scotty, Rory, a long list of others. But you know who took home the title? The hometown boy, Keegan Bradley. We know Keegan well. He's been on tour for years. We know him famously as, like, the first guy that started wearing Jordans on the course – He's got that great quote where he talks shit to Michael Jordan about him beating Michael Jordan like every week, and Michael Jordan says, I don't see you wearing, you don't see me wearing Air Keegans, right? So awesome stuff from Keegan. His putter was on fire. Another person playing well in an event with that jailbird putter. So we had Ricky, we had Wyndham, and now, now Keegan putting with that putter. I mean, these things are going for like $1,000 on eBay right now. Um, other than that, what did you guys see from Keegan and then anything from the course and the event that you liked? All I really have to say is like it was such a it was a birdie fest is what it was just absolutely blatantly obvious you can just quickly tune in and see the scoreboard and everyone was just the average like person like Ingaton they were like six seven under like every round which was almost like a little boring to watch I felt so it's tough to follow tournaments like this because the the leaderboard essentially is meaningless because you have to account for how many holes a guy has left. Because you turn it on early on a Sunday, and there's so many guys like jumped way up. But when the average score is six, seven under, you have to account like, okay, there's plenty of golf left that these guys are at the top are just going to fall down because they're done and can't keep making birdies. So from that standpoint, it's it's a little tough to follow. I think on Sunday too, it, it lost a little bit of its luster because Keegan was a bit of a runaway. No he one was really, up by like five or no six. No one really pushed him. I think he tried to give some strokes back and make it more interesting down the stretch, but there was just no one in, in shouting distance of him and kind of had an easy victory lap on Sunday. Yeah, so Keegan wins by three, but I think he bogeyed three out of four holes in the middle of the back nine. So I think at one point he had like a five or six shot lead, and these were all guys that were in the clubhouse, like you said. The more holes you have left, the more birdies you can make. We had Denny and Keegan both tied at 15 under after two rounds, right? They both played great, but then you're right. 
Like Thursday, you see Cantlay and Fowler come out and shoot like 60 and 61, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, they're in it. But then Keegan's got another 18 holes, and he's you know four or five shots up again by the end of the day. Yeah, I forget what the stat was on, I think it was Saturday, like a, a scoregami kind of thing. They had every score from, I think, 60 to 76, which has happened like <laughs> never in history. And so, you know, just kind of shows you the volatility and just, just how low scores were. But what do you guys think of tournaments like this where it is that birdie fest? I mean, is is that more enjoyable or you prefer the the more challenging test where it's possible to make bogeys out there? In this format where it's supposed to be like the designated elevated event that has the best players out there kind of situation, I'd rather see it be more of a test. Like these guys that are supposed to be the the best of the best on the tour, like I want to see them have to grind it out a little bit. Not quite you know, major championship difficult. I don't need it to be the, you know, unbelievably thick rough like it is at a U.S. Open, the unbelievably fast greens, fairways, all that. But just give me a little challenge. Make them work for it rather than it feels like it's almost just like second nature. It's like, you know, not even having to think over their shots as much as I want the, want to see those guys have to do. Like I'm watching Rory and Rory's playing good. He's like, I don't know, four under through six holes. Then he turns nine, he's five under. I'm like, oh, he's having a good day kind of flat on the back nine and the guys just zoom past him you're right so like keegan's playing unbelievable golf right now i think that he's a well-deserved winner here but your scotties your rory's your cantlays they all played great this week they just didn't quite have like a couple of putts drop these guys are going eight nine ten under and just blowing by him yeah there were a lot of a lot of big names that ended up being towards the top of leaderboard but i feel like an event like this where it's a birdie fest kind of sets up better for the mules who are going out there like they're kind of used to playing aggressive and trying to keep up with the with the stars out there. And in events where it's a difficult course, like your U.S. Opens or your Arnold Palmer Classics, it's harder for them to go out there and not make mistakes. But, I mean, they're so used to going out there and making all these birdies. Like I, I feel like a, a course like this sets up better for them and kind of puts more pressure on the, on the stars to kind of keep up with them. Yeah, I, I think this has been the first uh, designated elevated event where the leaderboard really didn't deliver too much. All the other events, like you're saying, they're a little more challenging, kind of cream rises to the top. And this one, I guess it's cool. Like, you know, there are a couple of pretty big storylines uh, up there that what Zach Blair, whatever. I yep. mean, that's a hell of a story there in itself. But, yeah, it allows an opportunity for guys who aren't necessarily the, the best players in the world to kind of keep pace if they if they can get hot because it's just go out there and score low, not necessarily play consistent, avoid bogeys, things like that that's probably a little bit tougher to do at the world-class level. A James Hahn, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think the Heritage, right, even though that's somewhat of a birdie fest, like, there's still a course that requires, like, a very good golfer, right? We had Spieth and Fitzpatrick in a playoff, right? So the cream rises to the top. Here, you're right. We had a lot of players in this top ten on the leaderboard that just, they don't really scream, like, hey, I'm a great golfer, but I had a good week. And when you get hot, when any of these guys get hot, they can beat anyone, right? So it's just kind of like keep rolling the birdies in. Let's run down this leaderboard, right? We talked about Keegan. You brought up Zach Blair, comes in T2. This guy's been a pro for like probably eight years. He's been hot sometimes, but generally speaking, is like he's a mule, right? He's a guy that's just playing in a lot of lower level events, not really getting into too many majors. He's got game. He shoots eight under in the final round and finishes at 20 under. I mean, I think that's probably what differentiates the PGA Tour for me and how good these guys are, and you barely even know them. And all the, this guy can just come out and shoot twenty under an event. Yeah, I mean, life changing for him. I believe he was on a medical exemption, and and so he's got to earn a certain number of points to be able to keep his card. And I mean, getting a T two gets you pretty damn close. So hopefully, he makes another cut, and then he's he's got it for for however longer. Oh, especially in an elevated event with more FedEx on the line. 
And Zach Blair's interesting. I don't know if you guys have seen the Charles Schwab commercials on the Golf Channel, but him and his buddies are setting out to build like one of the best golf courses in the world right now. I think somewhere in the southeast United States. And it looks awesome. Like it's very linksy. It's very natural to bring in some high level architects, but it's very much like a PGA tour player design course. So excited to see what happens there. So we got Brian Harmon, right? It's another name, a guy we talked about this in the last episode. You don't need to hit the ball long to play well at TBC river Highlands. And Brian Harmon does not hit the ball long. He had the putter going. Uh, most of these guys on the leaderboard, just really good iron players. We also had uh, Scotty Scheffler, right? Another T4 guy continues Shocking. just to put up some ridiculous numbers. His strokes gained or, outrageous i don't know how he putted this week but it must have been a little bit better than usual yeah he was just he was just uh even basically break even with the putter so (laughs) yeah it's uh i I mean i'm the the scotty guy here so of course i'm gonna say this but it's funny watching i watched a little bit of the featured coverage and he it it wasn't even like he was playing well and then it's just somehow he just keeps ending up at the top of these leaderboards i think i i saw another stat he's having the best season or now he's like the last 12 months he's right up there with with tigers unbelievable some yeah. of his unbelievable seasons so it's just, pretty much just like 2000 tiger and then 1990 something vj singh and then scotty i saw that he's like he's number one obviously for the Ryder cup but apparently he like doubled up whoever, yeah. the number of points whoever's number two has right now which is just insane i want to be excited for this Ryder cup because i think there's a lot of good young talent in the united states side but it's not looking good, right? Scotty is at a he's he's double second, who I believe is Wyndham, and then third is Brooks. So these U.S. guys are just they're not playing very good right now. Your Shawfleys, your JTs, your Jordans, Oma, Oma. He had a top ten this week. JT did at least after a dismal performance at the U.S. Open, so he had a little bounce back at least. Well, I, mean, I, I think that's almost a positive because we came into this year saying it was going to be a bloodbath how good the U.S. team was compared to the Euros, which some of the guys they lost with live. But right now it's shaping up. Some of those, some of the uh, the European guys are playing really well. You know, you got Fleetwood, uh, Rahm's down a little bit, but he's still one of the best players in the world. Victor, you know, a, and also some young guys. Yeah, Rory who, is who trending. Rory. Shane, yeah, Shane Lowry is trending. I mean, they're, they're, it's definitely shaping up to be a lot closer than I thought maybe six months ago. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect, though, like, you know, to Keegan winning this week, I'm not all that excited to see him at seventh on the rankings right now for the Ryder Cup. He's just not. Oh, I know. He doesn't move that needle, so it's, it is concerning. Keegan wins twice, and then Wyndham Clark wins twice, and now these guys are like, these guys are almost locks for the Ryder Cup. And although I think they're both good golfers, and I think I'd prefer Keegan over Wyndham a little bit just for history and his putter's a little hotter. But, yeah, I mean, you know, some captain's picks. You want some guys that can go out there. Like a Kevin Kisner is a good example, a guy that can just go out and get you a point. But Keegan and uh, some of these guys being, like, top of the cream of the crop right now, it's not looking – it's not shaping up the way I thought it would. Keegan actually has Ryder Cup experience too. I mean, I remember yeah. him and Phil used to be a really good um, team. I don't know when it was back at, like, Medina, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think that Keegan's Ryder Cup experience is good. I think he'll be great, but it just feels like I might feel more comfortable if Xander Shoffley was playing really good and not Keegan Bradley. What are the automatic uh, bids to get in? Top six. Top six and then six captains. Currently, it's uh, Scotty, Wyndham, Brooks, Xander, Cantlay, and Homa. I feel so, good about those six. I mean, but, I mean, like he said, Xander hasn't been playing great. He's been and playing Homa's not been great. Homa hasn't been great. Wyndham Clark, no experience in that kind of you know, play, you know, it's a lot of unknowns there that we maybe didn't expect. All right, let's keep running down this leaderboard. Ches Reevy. 
We actually mentioned him in the last episode when we talked about some of the times the short hitters do well here. He showed up again. I think that that was probably something I overlooked. That should have been like an, a, lo- a lock for a top 10 for him. It's just, of course, it fits him well. We probably could have got like plus 1,000, but missed that one. And him and Keegan being the final group, oh, it just wasn't great TV to watch. And we love <laughs> Keegan, and it's a good win for Keegan, and watching the fans really embrace him and him being home was great, but Ches Revy and Keegan Bradley being the final pairing in an elevated event did not do it for me. And then rounding out the T4s, Cantlay, right? Ryder Cup hopeful, right? He'll be on that team. He's playing good golf. I don't know what it's going to take for him to get in the winner's circle. His game's pretty solid. He's just doesn't quite have that it factor right now. He's basically playing Scotty golf. He's another one that seems, always seems to be in like that top 10 spot, but he's not doing anything to really get you super excited out there. Yeah, and one of those guys that like you know puts well inside five feet but doesn't make a single 15, 20-footer all week. So then we got T7s. Our boy Denny, right? Denny had the lead after two rounds. He really fell flat in round three and then came home with a decent round four, but finishes five shots off the pace. So close to a 59 in round one. Oh, that ball almost went in. That would have been an epic call on that, too. Like, <laughs> it was very ball, good. Ball's rolling to the cup, and the guy, I forget who it was, announcing it. 459. Yeah, I mean, really not a flash in the pan here for Denny. You know, I, I think he kind of burst on the scene a little bit with the memorial. But he's been uh, he's been playing really well like all season long here, and and he's I think top fifteen, top twenty in in data golf rankings, which is you know just based on how you're actually hitting the ball uh, a lot. And so you know, great to see the local guy up there at the top. <clears throat> I think he's a guy that I'd love to see on this Ryder Cup team. Right, putting Currently is thirteenth. Putting is so important, right? And we know I was going to say this actually with Jack. We played this afternoon, but I think that Denny's iron game is starting to get pretty world-class like he's known for his putting and he's a little wishy-washy with the driver he doesn't have great distance not great accuracy but his iron game has been pretty spot on like almost jarred his second shot on 18 to shoot 59 in the round in round one does denny also use the jailbird putter i gotta assume no denny uses like a go low five scotty cameron denny would be an absolute killer on the Ryder cup team can you just imagine playing against him and he just makes everything from like (laughs) 15 feet and in you just can't get a point on him and maybe it's something what you need though it might just be me like knowing who Denny was for so long, but the guy's kind of a steel trap too. Like, yeah, he lost to Vic in that playoff at, at the Memorial, but 18's a hell of a hard hole, and his second shot was pretty close to being perfect. But I think Denny's a bit of a steel trap. I think I'd like to see him get in some match play. And then also T7, Rory. Another good week for Rory. Got his first hole-in-one on the PGA Tour, which I think was a bit shocking for me. Yeah, I was very surprised. You know, I'm, we were talking about that. I, you know, Rory's probably got somewhere between 10 and 20. That's my guess, hole-in-ones in his lifetime. And just to think that... One's never happened in a PGA Tour event, and he's played in probably hundreds at this point. It was pretty rare. Uh, but then he double bogeys that same hole in round two, hits it in the water, so he's even on that hole for, through two rounds. And I think that was just a, the epitome of what golf is. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting, too. I, I think he's a big proponent of this uh, modified local rule, which is rolling back the golf ball, because he came out after this one in his press conference and basically said TPC River Highlands, like, is no longer a PGA Tour viable course. Like, technology has just made it irrelevant with how far you can hit the ball. Kind of gets into what we were saying earlier with this just being a birdie fest, but interesting to see a guy like him kind of stand up there and say, like, yeah, this really isn't a a course for us anymore. I low-key kind of think that that can probably be said for most of the TPC courses out there that are on the circuit, that, like, they're all a little bit dated relatively in terms of the length when they're all built, that the tour has just invested so much money in them that it's hard for them to go away. And I think that's leading to people pushing for that, that ball rollback is because the PJ tour doesn't want to spend the money to move things right. around. Yeah. And, and that. 
So I, I think they just need to embrace that there's other courses out there that can fit the needs of the tour rather than just sticking with those ones. And I think it's been established statistically that if the golf ball gets rolled back, it actually does nothing but give longer hitters a better advantage because the the drawback for shorter hitters is that they're going to be, hit, be hitting even longer irons in. So the, the disparity from a six iron to a four iron is a lot more than a pitching wedge to an eight iron. So I think these long hitters are going to be proponents of rolling the ball back. And I agree with this course being outdated. I mean, it only played like 6,800 yards this weekend. Like that is extremely short. I would say we see most U.S. Opens playing 74 to 7,700 6,800 is just not going to get it done. I think Clustered, when we played today, is technically played 6,800. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the the women's PGA this weekend at Balthastraw played longer than TPC River Highlands. Yeah, that's ridiculous. All right, and then uh, rounding out our top 10, we got a few names here, but the big one at T9 is the one, the only, the Aussie, Minwoo Lee. Great, great week for Minwoo. So consistent. I think his Dirt worst. bag cool, I believe. Dirt bag cool. Dirt bag cool. <laughs> He's finally getting recognized by GQ uh, for his finally for his, <laughs> for his on the course uh, style, but yeah, he he played really well this week. I think his worst round was three under, so really consistent. He didn't make a lot of birdie or a lot of bogeys this week, but um, just couldn't make as many birdies as the top guys. I, I think there's something uh, there's something about his aggressive nature that I really like, and I think if you watch him putt, watch him putt once. He does like a I think he does a cross handed grip, but like the way he like leans over it and really like watches and looks at the putt, like it just he's got a lot of aggression, and I think that that's you don't see it from Rory, you don't really see it from Scotty. You know, Rom's got a little, but it's more like the aggression after he hits the ball because he gets mad. But most of these guys, you just don't see like the the intensity and the. I think Minwoo is. Uh, I think he's in an interesting spot here. I think he's so fun to watch because he can. I mean, we saw this at the U.S. Open. He can make a hard course look pretty easy by just streaming together birdies. Yeah, he'll make mistakes and uh, you know obviously level out to the playing field. But <laughs> with that putter, like he can get hot as as far as he hits it, and with being a world class putter, I mean, he can just start birdieing holes that aren't birdie holes. And I think we're starting to see a trend every tournament now. There's going to be a Minwoo like drive where he hits it like 50 yards further than everybody else, and it's like a completely different golf course he's playing on some of these holes. His last drive of the week on 18 went 376 yards. <laughs> I was going to mention that because Rory hit it 388 on that hole, but there wasn't much coverage on it. It's just all about Minwoo now. Well, that's normal for Rory, right? Yeah, that's normal. Exactly. Maybe well, maybe one day for Minwoo. Well, unfortunately, we lose a bit of the Minwoo luster because he's heading back to Europe to play in the British Masters this week and probably get ready for the uh, Open Championship, I assume. Hey, the guy won the Scottish Open. He plays Lynx Golf good. I'd love to see him pick one up. So this was the last of the designated events, uh, of, like the designated elevated, not the invitationals that always had better fields. I'm just curious, like, how, did, how do you guys feel that went this year? Like, that whole concept do you think it was executed well do we like it do we think they're gonna really stick with that with the whole you know new co as they're calling it with all the merger and stuff i think it was nice to know that certain events had a certain floor right watching the rbc watching the waste management watching the wells fargo and the travelers like you knew the big names were going to be there and for 75 percent of them and really even this one just not they're you know not top three kind of thing not really going having a chance on sunday Pretty much every one of them, big names won. And there were still some Cinderella stories. Uh, but I'd say all in all, I think it went well. The only caveat would be like the tournaments they picked maybe weren't the best. I don't know. The Travelers, I think, wasn't because, yeah, the course is a little outdated. It just didn't it, it didn't really foster like had to be the best player in the world to win. I think even RBC was a little bit leaning that way. But I think it ended up being a pretty good tournament because that course is still such a shot maker's course. But 
waste management in the Wells Fargo, I think went, went great. I thought it was interesting that, and I know we were talking about it before, but like two of the elevated events were after majors. I don't know if that's, yeah. I don't know if that's the way that they're going to play it or set it out in the future, but I which, don't know. What do you guys, how do you guys think that went? Which was crazy because every, every one of these after the major, so the RBC that we went to was the week after the masters. Right. And so we went in like, these guys are going to be so fatigued. Like, yeah, it's a, they're all going to be there, but no one's going to be out there kind of putting on a performance. And then it's like every single one of these, I was shocked. Like nobody was phoning it in really. I mean, there were still all the top players rising to the top, which is hard to believe after, you know, weeks where they're putting in so much prep for these majors to still go out there and, and kind of play at, at the, the top level that they can was, was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I think it worked out well for the players to show up and come play. But I think for people maybe more like me, like more of the casual fan, I think I would prefer them to be not the week after a major. It's I'm I'm tuning in, kind of paying attention more to the major golf. But then it's unlike it. It's unlike me to sit down week after week to watch events. Yeah. It'd be nice to spread out these larger events. So it's like, hey, I'm I'm dialed in for a major. Eh, I'll take the weekend off from watching golf. Then next weekend we get one of these elevated events, and I dive back in and get excited about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. It's almost like after you watch like major championship golf, like all you almost want to do as a casual fan and as a golfer, you want to go out and play. Go now. out and play the next I, I don't want to sit on the couch. I want to actually go and try to, you know, recreate a shot or something like that. So I think they definitely need to space them out a little bit more and, and kind of get that excitement back into it like a little bit while. So people don't, the casual fan doesn't get that fatigue and, you know, just tune out for a while. I don't think they need to feel so confined as to, and it'll be a lot different now with the PIF and the PGA and the DP World Tour coming together. But I'd like to see an elevated event on a course that's very iconic. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, Harbortown's a great course. And these, you know, Waste Management, that's a great course, right? TBC Scottsdale, like, they're great courses. But I want to go see them play, like, some U.S. Open venues and stuff and find a corporate sponsor and make that, like, a unique event. Because I think the course is what gets you into it. And then the top players are what get you there to stay. Well, and, and with the PIF, too, I, I think speaking to that as well and, and trying to take a little bit more of an international approach and maybe these designated events start to be the Australian Open. And, you know, they just announced that's a future President's Cup site and seeing some of the initial, like, videos and photos of that course, it's like, oh, that's going to be sick. Like, seeing a seeing them play that course because it's new and it's somewhat iconic that we haven't seen before. And so, you know, it'd be a good to, to get a good mix of those in the designated events versus just the, the same old run-of-the-mill courses that you see year over year on tour that are kind of no longer exciting to watch. And they're, they're special to, like, a dedicated golf fan. But you're right, like, TPC River Highlands brings absolutely nothing to a casual golf fan. There's no, there's not a ton of history here. There's not a lot of, you know, major winners or people that won here. Yeah. Making it international, I think, will be really important. There's so many good courses around the world that could get a lot of hype, and you'll be like, wow, that's right, they played the 97 Ryder Cup here, and this course is awesome. All right, let's jump into the Rocket Mortgage coming up this week in Detroit. Uh, this is a Donald Ross design course, so we like Donald Ross courses, right? Pine Needles is a Donald Ross course, little tiny greens. This this course, like this week, is going to go low. I think last year, 26 under one, Tony Finau. He won by five strokes, so a bit of a runaway. But I believe we have a really good field this week, probably the best the Rocket Mortgage has ever had. Uh, do you guys have any picks for this week? I think it's going to be a long hitter, just historically speaking. I know Finau won last year, but I think Bryson's a past champion here. Cam um, Davis is a past champion. Guys who hit the ball really long off the tee, even um, Cam Young, I think, came in second last year. So I think it's going to be someone who who hits it hits it big off the tee. Um, I don't know who that's going to be yet, but <laughs> that's that's my pick. 
Well, I was looking too. Like I think ac- um, like general distance from the hole from like 125, 100 to 125 is a big statistic this week. So looking at some of the guys like Hideki and even our champion this week, Keegan Bradley, guys that really stick it close with their wedges is a is a good way to start. I'm looking at JT this week. I just feel like he's one of those guys that, you know, he's got to be due for that actual bounce back. I don't think he has a win this year. He's kind of had a very up and down season. It just kind of feels like this is is going to be a, a scorable course. He hits the ball long enough. He, by all means, has the iron game to hit every shot. At least we've seen him have that. Maybe he hasn't had it recently. I think he's he's getting you're getting good value there. He's like sixth or seventh in odds, where his usual, you know, top three, top four. So I think that's a that's a he's got a decent chance here this week. You know, one of the names I think I'd like to I'd like to see play well this week. Uh, an, an amateur, or I guess, is he still in the? Oh, he's a first year on tour. Ludwig Aberg, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is a course he can dominate. Right when you talk about distance off the tee. He's got it, and he's got a wedge game to back it up. He's plus five thousand right now. It's uh, he's he's ready to break through, and his game looks really solid. I uh, I'm looking at Ricky this week. I think he's been knocking on the door. He's had a couple heartbreaks. I think this is kind of that tournament where he can really break through and and get back into the winner's circle and kind of cash in on on how well he's playing right now. I mean, he's just turning out consistent top twenty, top ten performances over the last month or two. I saw that. Would uh, love to see that one. I saw that Gordon Sargent's in the uh, in the field this week. He talked about someone who can hit it long. Um, I don't know if he still has amateur status or not at this point, but uh, he played well at the U.S. Open. And I'm not saying he's going to win, but that could be a good play, like top forty, top thirty, or something like that. I think Ken just texted me. He's got Sepp Straka and Bo Hosler <laughs> to finish top five. He's pretty. Those are his guys. Those. You looking tip? I am looking. There's okay. there's some very interesting guys we got on here. One that's way down there that. We've seen show up recently in some of the bigger events is uh, Sam Bennett plus twelve thousand. Wow! Like you, you might see him sneak through in one of these types of events where there's maybe ten of those top guys, but he's hung with them before. Maybe this is one he separates himself. I like him for like a top top twenty. Yeah, I mean he's a, he's a really consistent golfer, right? He knows how to get a, get his golf ball around. Even at Augusta, where long hitters do well, he did really well. So he's a guy that can really own a course. Seems like the theme here is the the young guys coming out: Aberg, Sargent, Bennett. Some of these guys who are coming right out right out of college. Yeah, it's definitely one of the name on tour. It's definitely one of those events. I want to say like might have been where Colin Morkow or Vic or you know one of those guys won that group that you know came out and they were very you know, highly regarded. A lot of like first time winners get that here, similar like a John D or something like that. And I mean, I really think we're entering that phase where it now it's going to be really interesting just watching honestly something like that lower end of the leaderboard more than the winners, like because. The FedEx Cup is now shrunk to it's like top seventy are going to get into the you know playoffs or whatever at the end. There's a lot of names right on that edge, like JT for example. He just moved into the top seventy after you know having a good week last week, and so I think we're going to see a lot of movement there. It's got to be a lot of like people trying to get things right before the Open or trying to make a Ryder Cup push. So I think you know the storylines are going to be all about the the scrag, you know, the ones at the end rather than the big winners. So we mentioned this is the probably the best field this tournament's ever had is there any like explanation for that i mean coming off of golfers playing poorly the the u.s open and then the following week a a designated elevated event so everybody's got to play in that and again you know there's there's big guys sitting out this but it's still a huge field i I, is this a course that people like to play a a, like to go to detroit i I mean is there a a general consensus out there that that's drawing these guys in i think it's the poor play i think it's the like we haven't seen much out of tony this year colin morikow has been struggling obviously ricky's been playing well but this is also one of his big sponsors so he's going to be there hideki he's been kind of up and down hurt 
JT's been struggling. Homa's been struggling. There's just a lot of those names that are giving it that boost in field. I think they're just trying to find their game and just said, all right, we got to go. Yeah, there's not many events left, so I think that these guys are definitely looking for FedEx Cup points. They're like, what event can I play in so I don't have to play in, like, the Wyndham and try and, like, (laughs) claw together some points to get into the playoffs. And, yeah, you're right. Colin Morikawa, Hideki Matsuyama, Max Homa, Justin Thomas, Sung J.M., Tom Kim. Like, these guys are all good golfers, and they've had a few good finishes this year, but I think a lot of them are right on that, you know, top 25 and need a few more points to make sure they secured their East Lake position. All right, so then what else happened last week? We had the, the KPMG Women's PGA at Baltus Raw. Let's talk about that real quick. A really good finish, a 20-year-old winning the event. Rose Zhang really kind of in the hunt there down the stretch. Couldn't really make anything. I was at the bar. We were watching the O's game a little bit, and then I had them flip to the, the women's PGA, and everyone at the bar was like, boo. I was like, no, no, no. This is a great course, and uh, you got to watch Rose. I mean, everyone wants to tune in to watch Rose. I thought she was going to have a chance to win it. She, like, misses the 16th green, the par 3 left, doesn't get up and down, makes bogey, and then kind of par 5, par 5 finish. Like, I want to call out, like, the PGA and the US, USGA for their setups because a par 5, par 5 finish is awesome, especially when they were reachable, but, like, most of the women were hitting, like, three woods in, some with hybrids, but, like, there were eagles to be had and plenty of birdies to be had. I think a much better finish in uh, putting them on notice. Yeah, there was there was a stretch there where Rose, I think, was one off the lead. She went on a birdie streak and then kept stuffing approaches and just couldn't get any putts to go down. And then, of course, she makes the bogey and, and then doesn't really make anything happen. But, hey, this is her second pro start, and she got – I'm sure she ended as a top 10, you know, an iconic player. That's, that's someone that's going to draw a lot of attention to the women's game, which is kind of what they need because the, the stars of the last couple years – haven't really been turning out yet this year. You talk about the Corda sisters, uh, some of the other uh, great names out there, Jin Young Ko, Minji Lee, you know, haven't really done a ton. And so they're kind of starving for that iconic player to break through and, and kind of uh, get some more get some more attention. But the uh, the, the crazy story, Rioning Yin, I believe, who won, 20-year-old, second win this year, is uh, rents her house from another woman on tour who was like, second for most of Sunday so it was you know crazy you're playing with playing against your landlord for a major out there (laughs) Uh, a pretty interesting storyline she also ended with 37 straight greens in regulation so the whole weekend she did not miss a green makes a big putt on 18 Uh, pretty cool story there but it, it was also really cool to see the women's game embracing these like you said iconic courses that they historically have not had the opportunity to play Balthastraw of course a, a big-time uh, PJ championship, maybe a U.S. Open course as well for the men, and so the women get to play here for the first time. And then I think we have the the U.S. Women's Open for the first time at Pebble Beach in a, in a couple of weeks. So another great course to get to see them play. So it'll be exciting uh, once that comes around. Right, a place where Phil Mickelson's won, Jimmy Walker won, Jack Nicholas won. Uh, Michael Thorne Bjornsson, right, an up-and-coming player on the PGA Tour. He won a U.S. junior amateur here. So, I mean, them playing Pebbles a huge step, right? I mean, I'm excited to watch the women's game, right? When we talk about these elevated events, I think it's the same exact storyline. You get women's majors on exciting courses, like Congressional was a great one. We went to go see that. Get them on good courses. It's going to draw more eyeballs, and it's a lot more fun to watch. Also, the girl that won, the 20-year-old from China, only the second-ever Chinese-born player to win a major, her and Shun Chung Fong. So... It's a, it's a pretty big step for them and good for their junior golf. 
All right, now let's jump into some big player golf. We got a couple things to cover here. Uh, a good 2v2 match at Rattlewood. Uh, of course, I hadn't played in probably a decade. And when I played it 10 years ago, I mean, it was like borderline dog path. It was like overgrown. The course was not in great shape. So I, I would say my expectations were a little low going into this thing. But I tell you what, that course is in pretty darn good shape right now. I'd put it up there with like a clustered spires, right? The fairways were green. The, the greens rolled nicely. It's a fun little layout. It, it doesn't take driver out of your hand too much, but you got some tight holes. It's, uh, you know, lots of short par fours. The par five, ninth plays long. Dub hit his drive left there and then had to hit over the trees into the green. But, like, you know, he's in play. It was a good drive. He hits it over the trees, and it's headed toward the green. And I'm like, oh, man, bad bounce. Like, went out of bounds, and it's like eight <laughs> feet. I, knew, I think I had him for a second, but then he was like, me saying out of bounds. I think that gave it away. But, yeah, it was me and Tully versus Dub and Ken. We played net with our strokes from the league i think dub and ken were like three or four up on the back nine we had an interesting rules uh, infraction <laughs> on like the wow, 14th shocker. so me and Tully, that's a blueprint me and telly were down by so much i'm like i gotta find something to get us out of this hole so ken hits a drive in someone's front yard but there's like 25 signs that say do not trespass and ken goes oh, i'll just hit out this guy's yard real quick and i'm like ken do not hit out that guy's <laughs> yard he's probably gonna come out and pop a shotgun off and get out of my yard so i said ken just take a drop in the rough but you got to hit three from here. <laughs> Once I did that, dude, Ken's mind went spinning. He's like, Ben, I can't believe you did that to me. So we won like a few in a row, came all the way down to 18, but then Ken and Dub get it dub done. Dub makes like a 35 foot birdie putt on 18 to seal the deal. Yeah. So back to the rules infraction. Here, <laughs> that was, Forget the 35. That was birdie. really the storyline here. Uh, we were, well, we started down big early on and then kind of got it back together a little bit. Ken taking advantage of all the strokes that he got. A lot of dots. And so we went in with, I don't know, three, four up and you know, he's already writing his victory speech a little bit. And, uh, he hits a ball out of bounds. It's the right call. We yeah, play, it's out of bounds. We it, play yeah. fast and loose out there. We were playing preferred lies pretty much everywhere, but a ball's out of bounds, not by like, a foot by like a pretty wide margin, you you have to at least take a penalty stroke. So the right call, but man, he fell apart <laughs> and he couldn't get off the tee after that. It, he played out of a lot of tall grass yeah, for three or four home. straight holes of fescue. For <laughs> yeah, him. he was knocking down trees, cutting down some tall fescue. So uh, he, he he held it together just enough to keep us in it. So, you know, hats off to his uh, his mental fortitude that he lost it there, but he kind of got it back together and finished strong. Let's correct this. You held on for the both of you and, and sealed it. No, I think the yeah. best part with Ken is that he's getting a stroke a hole. So Ken would hit like a not-so-great drive, and he'd go, <laughs> ah, fuck, I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. This sucks. I'm like, Ken, like, you get a stroke here. If you can just make like a double or a bogey, like, you're fine. But he's like, as soon as he, he mails it in, as soon as he gets a bad drive. I'm, I'm not normally not the therapist out there because I'm a mental mess myself. <laughs> I don't know. You've helped me a lot this year. <laughs> but there was a lot of talking to Ken, like exactly what you're saying. He'd hit a bad drive. He's like, well, we lost this all. And I'm like, Ken, just hit a nice recovery shot. We're back in the hole. All you got to do is make a bogey or even a double was, fine. is fine because you're stroking here. He's like, okay, yeah, I, I can do that, I think. So, you know. He, <laughs> I can do it. He... <laughs> He kept it together, you know. It then uh, kind of got it done at the end. We were we were aided by some not course knowledge. So uh -huh. eighteen, you can't hit driver there. These guys both hit perfect drives out there, never to be found again. Tully, I, you, we should have found yours. I don't know what happened there, Ben. Yours was probably I think I over saw you the step driving on it and range, bury it into the ground. So uh, yeah, in hindsight, probably a layup hole there, but uh, at least made for some uh, fireworks on the green. Oh, it was so painful.
I think I think my favorite part of the round two, just going back to me messing with Ken, is that usually it's Ken and me, right? We're the original one eight seed. So when I play against Ken, I do like to try and get in his head and. I was like double reverse psychology again. Like I'd be like, Ken, make sure you hit this putt hard. It's pretty slow. And he's like, does that mean it's going to be fast and he's messing with me? Or is it now, is it actually slow? And he did the putt like 20 feet short. And I'm like, oh, it worked. Well, you were also messing with me, with him, because you would, I think every hole where he had a longer putt, you'd tell him like, oh, I think it breaks left. And I'm looking at it like, I can't tell. Like, is he telling us it breaks left or does it not? And so, yeah, definitely uh, – Definitely some gamesmanship there going on. Ken had a long putt, and Dub goes back and, and reads it for him, and he says it's like three inches outside right, but I don't think Ken heard the inches, so I said, yeah, feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ken's lining up. He goes, I don't see three feet of break, Dub. What do you mean? <laughs> like, oh, man, it was it was an all-timer. But, yeah, that, speaking to the course, that's a big player's course right there. You know, it's, it's forgiving enough off the tee without it being like, you know, you can play out of every single other fairway, every hole. So there, there was enough difficulty. Like, it was the perfect mix of, you know, tough holes, scorable holes, you know, a little bit of everything. Yeah, I'd say 50% of the holes, you know, maybe you knew you couldn't miss right, but you had all day left, right? So it's like, you know, as long as you don't make big mistakes. But we played for free, but I think it probably would have only been like 60 bucks. It's 570 somewhere in that Yeah, range, it's not too bad. And, I mean, the course is nice. It played, it played pretty quick. I mean, it was full. We had a foursome in front and behind us, and – we waited a little bit, but we still got around in four and a half, so yeah. no complaints. Apparently, the foresman behind us did not want us to get drinks, so they were <laughs> not happy the first time the car girl came around. Yeah, we were on a par three, and we had waited for the group in front of us to clear the green. We all hit, and then, you know, beverage girl shows up, so we're like, okay, let's grab a couple drinks, and Ken makes like 16-odd requests with putting beer in certain <laughs> bags and like getting transfusions with certain straws. But and, he did pay for it, so shout out to So Ken. thanks, Ken. But uh, it took us quite a while. It's car girl and the group behind us coming up. We're only like 20 yards off the tee at this point, and they go... Can we play through? And Dub's like, no, we're waiting. <laughs> and the guy did not, like, he mean mugged Dub. He was like, you should let us play through. So then we're, like, putting on the green, trying to get out of the way, and we look back, and they're ordering drinks for the damn car girls. <laughs> so they didn't really need to go through. But it, it was a great time. I mean, I, I really appreciated the freeness of it. That was delightful to just yeah. walk in and hand them a piece of paper, and they were like, all right, go out and play. It was, that was nice. I had a tough stretch there that really, really hurt us and on the back nine where I just went, Double bogey, double bogey, double bogey. That, you know, I think I also it, went it, like bogey, bogey, bogey. Us. It really doomed us there. So it was, it was tough to take that first official uh, lost, uh, especially to. Well, a this one's kind of Whoa, like this one's kind a, of a, hold up a, a second. bit of an asterisk. What happened last? What this happened on it. Thursday last? Week? It wasn't an eighteen hole match. We play eighteen hole. Sorry, matches. you want more oh, exhibition? Yeah. You can have more exhibition. <laughs> I, I have one more thing to say about this course is that. The food at the turn was surprisingly good. The Bowls hot dogs, of cheese. the hot dogs were nice, and then I was I was hungry. I was like, uh, I was like, I need to. I'm in a calorie boy. deficit right now. I need to get some calories in. So I got a like a like a big pretzel with with beer cheese, and I'm kind of thinking that'll be quick, right? She'll just grab the pretzel out, give me a beer cheese. Well, no, you're not you're not just thinking it. You ask, is the pretzel and beer cheese quick? And she says, yeah. And then she goes, oh, just give me a second. Let me go back and get the beer cheese. And like five minutes later, she comes back with this scolding hot bowl of cheese. <laughs> it doesn't have a lid on it or anything. And I'm like, I'm literally walking out with this. Like, it's like, it's kind of thin, too. It's like cheese soup. And I'm just like, tell you drive while I'm trying to eat this pretzel. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the scolding hot cheese actually hurt your hand a little bit. That's that's why we struggled on the back nine. Probably. Oh, was, so was, that's the asterisk. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say I was, I was definitely pretty full. But I'll give it like a, you know, a really high rating. The food was good. And uh, we'll put a reel together after this where we'll go around with each of the guys that played we'll give the course a rating we'll put that out for, out there for you guys ken's not even here well we'll get him we'll get kenny when he comes back 
All right, and then the last piece of big player golf from this past week, which just happened like two hours ago, uh, Tully and I got to get out with our buddy Jack Bonifant, who we interviewed on this podcast last year. We know Jack played uh, last year at the U.S. Adaptive Open down in Pinehurst, came in like third. That's coming up in a month for him, and then he's playing a USAM qualifier at Clustered tomorrow. So we went out and did a quick warm-up nine with him so he could get a look at the course he had never played there. I give Jackson props, man. He's a pretty good golfer. Hits Did you ball give him straight. a lot of local knowledge and you know telling him where to hit it? I yeah, swear to right God. in front of you. It's a very straightforward course. He's like, he's like, yeah, he's asking. I'm like, Jack, I don't know what to tell you, but there's like, there's no local knowledge here. Like, you can literally see it. There's not like any tricky places you shouldn't be in. Like, otherwise, you can tell you're not supposed to go there. I'm like, I'm on a green. I'm like, should I tell Jack like, don't go long here if the pin's back or something like that? I'm like, but there's no reason to tell him that. The course so damn flat. There's no real bad place to be. Yeah, it was a fun nine though. Like it, it was very interesting to watch. You know, him and Ben play together. You know, Ben and Dub, similar skill levels, similar style of play. You know, swinging for the fences. Whereas Jack was very methodical out there, <laughs> and it's just like fairway, green, two putt or one putt. You know, depending on what it went. It was just like wow, that that's really simple when you do it that way. And I was like, I'm jealous. And I think Jack probably could have shot like four under on that front nine. He hit probably five or six approach shots inside twenty feet, and just. Probably wasn't lining up the putts or just didn't know the greens that well. But, yeah, the guy hits the ball pretty long, like 280, 285 off the tee and, you know, pretty dead straight. But a really good iron player. His, his like, pitching wedge to six iron, man, he's a he's an assassin. All right, that does it for us tonight. If you haven't yet, check out our Instagram, at BigPlayersOnlyPod. We'll have a reel there rating Rattlewood around this past weekend. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next time.